Welcome to Southeast Asia's Growth Leaders with True, a podcast dedicated to the region's high growth and early stage scene, where we ask industry leaders and experts for their insights, advice, and experiences on how to build and scale sustainable businesses in the region. My name is Sam Randall, and I'm a partner at True Search. True is the world's leading executive search platform for technology and tech-enabled companies. Since our inception, we have partnered with tech startups throughout their growth from pre-seed to post-IPO. With over 300 search professionals in 14 offices across North America, Europe, Middle East, and Asia, we have a modern and innovative approach, working with the founder and investor community to advise and assist in successfully scaling their businesses. With a decade of Southeast Asia search experience in technology, I lead the high growth and early stage practice for True in the region. I help startups through high growth stages with advice on talent and hiring, as well as providing search for co-founders, leaders, and technical experts. This week, we are delighted to welcome Adrian Gunardi to the show. Adrian is the CEO of Indonesian fintech startup Investry and also holds the position of chairman of the Fintech Lending Association of Indonesia. After an 18-year career in foreign and local banking, he embarked on his entrepreneurial journey and launched Investry. He joins us to share his journey of growth with Investry, including the social impact that Investry has had on the Indonesian market. We continue to explore the Southeast Asia regional fintech story, the role of the regulators and the future of the region. We discuss the similarities between launching a business and running a marathon, and we finish with the now world-famous quickfire question round. Okay, so Adrian, thank you very, very much for coming on to the show. I know you're incredibly busy, um, but it's really great of you to make some time to chat with me today. Um, how how are you? How have you guys been during lockdown? How's um how is everything? Hi, Sam. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. It's a pleasure uh, to be uh, speaking on this on this podcast. Um, all good uh, on our front. Uh, obviously, it's been a very exciting times over the past uh, three to four months. And I think it's it's one of the uh, those events uh, where you go through a lot of uh, turbulences, I believe, uh, in all businesses. But uh, you know, we've 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 been managing it well, uh, navigating through the turbulence quite well, and uh, we've actually seen very good uh, growth uh, over the past uh, few months. And, uh, you know, we continue to be positive uh, overall, and, and the trend remains to be very positive. Interesting. I've had definitely that the um, sort of fintech in general is doing doing quite well across this period. I guess outside of um, outside of the work side, have you, have, has it been sort of work, work, work? Have you managed to, to pick up any new hobbies or, or <laughs> anything interesting at home? No, no, actually, I mean, uh, we've been, we've actually been um, still, uh, um, switching between work from home and uh, work from the office. We've been uh, managing at least uh, during the, I would say, semi-lockdown in Jakarta, uh, about 15% of the uh, total capacity. Um, and we've now steadily increased to about 30 to 40%. And uh, we take turns uh, three days in the office, two days from home. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's part of the cycle that we go through, but uh, you know I think investry has been very much uh, uh, I would say full full operational and uh, supporting the needs of the SMEs in Indonesia during this uh, pandemic. Uh, hobbies wise, uh, you know you get fitter. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, solo exercises, so um, a lot of running, a lot of cycling. 
Uh, I know cycling sales have picked up over the past few months. And I think the same trend we see in Jakarta in general, a lot of people are on their bike doing uh, solo rides. Do you think we'll see, we'll see more people commuting by bike as well? Because it gets them off of the, uh, the overcrowded public transport. Yeah, I guess, I guess. And, and it, keeps, it keeps you fit, right? And uh, yeah. trying to build your immune system, I guess. So look, let's let's um, roll the clock back a bit. Obviously, um, we're here to talk about investment, but I, I'd be really keen to to hear a little about about your journey to where you are sort of currently. You know, perhaps where where you started out. Um, some interesting sort of uh, points along the way, and then really what what brought you to, to to your current position. Right. So so I think for me personally, I think it's been a very interesting journey. Um, I think. Um, as an entrepreneur, um, this is my first business venture, actually. So I've been a professional for almost 20 years uh, in banking. Uh, I was doing various roles, um, either in corporate banking, uh, consumer banking, retail, SME. Um, been in several banks uh, in Indonesia, in Dubai, doing Islamic banking as well. And uh, my last position was actually retail bank director um, in Indonesia. So I think um, throughout my professional career, I've seen you know how things have evolved, uh, especially in banking, where um, you see less and less people going to the branch. I think that was a sign. Uh, but you've also seen how consumers have changed in terms of the way uh, they are more digitally uh, adaptive uh, to yeah. some of the services that are being offered by banks. And so that is actually what triggered me to leave banking back in 2015 and start Investry. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I had some very uh, convincing fellow co-founders that <laughs> uh, actually talked me to uh, do a startup, you know, at, at 40, right? So life begins at 40. Exactly <laughs> that's what happened. Um, so I, I jumped ship. You know, left all the suit and ties, uh, and and uh, the jeans and sneakers. That's how you know we started, and and I think uh, haven't looked back. Um, so it's it's also about you know how I felt that um, when when you're in banking, I think you you tend to obviously um, was was confined by certain regulations. Um, you were being less innovative in how you can serve the customers. And I think it was, you know, how we've seen technology have changed uh, consumer behavior, but at the same time, how we can leverage technology to serve the underserved. I think that was one of the things that um, uh, encouraged me to leave banking was that the fact that, you know, how can you make a better impact to the SMEs of Indonesia? Um, and, and, and that was actually one of the, the thesis that uh, brought me to where we are right now, how we can leverage technology, how we can leverage data to provide more access to SMEs in Indonesia. And so, I mean, so it's, you know, five years ago, it feels, feels relatively early in the, in the, um, the FinTech movement of Southeast Asia. Um, you know, obviously it's got an awful lot of, um, of press over the last two, two, three years and increasing number of white papers and things being released about, about the region. I guess, what was it that, convinced you that that was the right time you know the, your, your co-founders must have had a very compelling story what what, <laughs> what was it made you feel that that was like really the right time right i think i think it always comes back to um you can never be too early or be too late uh in entering into new businesses right uh, but we felt that you know um we had 
the right experience. I think that's very important. We had the network um, of of uh, uh, in terms of connections with the stakeholders, in terms of the regulators, and um, you know, I think it was about the timing. We've seen how uh, tech startups have grown over the past. You know, at that time, uh, several raised a huge amount of capital. So we felt that, you know, the venture capital industry have changed in Indonesia. Um, We've seen how uh, uh, the big venture capital were starting to pour in investments into Indonesia. So, you know, we thought about that as the the timing to to start the venture, the business, right? And also, you know, we looked at our runway itself as um as as professionals they said okay i have a one-year runway if this doesn't work um i can go back to banking and i i believe my cv is still good enough right so so that was a bit of a a bit of that discussion um and so we also looked at um how we can actually also shape the regulation uh being as one of the early players in the market um, and, you know, by having, uh, I would say, an, uh, an active involvement in shaping the regulation uh, would enable us to provide a first, first mover advantage um, into our business. What was the, I guess, sort of to, to distill it down to, to a point, what was that sort of key initial hypothesis you guys were, were exploring? What was the, the sort of founding principle for, for, for Investry? Right. So... The first product that we focused on was actually an invoice uh, financing product. Uh, we were looking for, you know, a segment, a niche product where uh, there is demand for that specific product. There is a market for that product. But at the same time, that product would uh, provide us with a relatively secure uh, repayment source, uh, yeah. which in turn provides uh, assurance uh, to the lenders, right? So. You know, uh, a traditional invoice financing is something that um, is, is, you know, I would say very much uh, uh, used to in terms of the borrower. Uh, traditionally, it's called factoring. You have an invoice, you have a receivable. Um, that uh, invoice will be paid in about 30 to 60 days. So typically what happens is that you uh, would borrow from your friends and families. So... <laughs> That is actually the thesis that we uh, started off Investry with, right? There is demand from people uh, looking for the short-term bridge financing uh, to pay uh, or basically to get paid earlier, right? So that was that was the, actually the thesis. So how do you formalize that? How do you scale that? How do you build in technologies to make the experience much more um, user-friendly? Uh, and so that is how we started off. Okay, so basically, the, the, if I get that right, the invoice financing is, um, you know, somebody might have a 30 or 60 day sort of payment terms on an invoice. Um, right. And for, right. for that, and for us, for an SME business, that, that period of time, they might, they might be quite sort of light in liquidity, they might be quite light in that the sort of cash flow. And therefore, this is a service that would loan them the, the money for that for that period. Is, yeah. is that is that how it works? Correct, correct. And, and basically, you know, we are a platform, we are a marketplace. So yeah. Um, we don't lend it out of our balance sheet. What we do is yeah. we connect between those who have excess liquidity who are looking for yields. I mean, you know, you have friends and families always trying to um, increase or enhance their deposit yields, right? So yeah. this becomes an alternative. Um, it's short term. Uh, uh, typically, Indonesian investors like short term products, uh, higher yielding. So that's uh, playing to that nature. 
um, of, of, of potential investors or lenders, basically. Yeah, so basically it, it's a simple uh, uh, offering. Uh, it's something that, you know, have been going on within our society and, and we try to formalize the process. I think that's a better word to put it. And um, well, so that that was that was the, the sort of founding principle. That was where you guys started. Um, what what um, you know what what products have you added on since? Where how have you grown grown the business from? There? Right. So basically, I think you know we starting off from that initial product, then we evolve and uh, deepen ourselves into what we call the uh, supply chain financing vertical. You have uh, invoice, you have pre-invoice, you have uh, other uh, payables within a supply chain. So we, um, we see that, you know, the, the market is still huge. It is still very much underpenetrated. There is room for scalability, but there is also room for integration. So now we've started to integrate with um, uh, the uh, e-procurement providers. We've integrated also with payment gateway providers. So, you know, we're, we've integrated to various ecosystems, uh, but the basic product remains uh, supply chain financing, which is invoice financing, contract-based financing, pre-invoice, um, inventory financing, uh, which are short-term working capital requirement for SMEs. And yeah. so that's how we manage to you know, scale the business, but at the same time, maintain a healthy portfolio, uh, because at the same time, you need to maintain your uh, uh, non-performing. So what 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 impact has, has something like this had on on the end consumers? Obviously, there, there, it sounds like there was uh, unofficial channels through which this could be this could be accessed previously. Has has creating a, a, a sort of a platform for accessing this type of thing had a big impact for for your consumers and for your lenders? What, what what's been the the outcome there? Right. So I think one unique angle. You know, we we started off with uh, you know as any startup, the first time is how do you convince. Even convincing borrowers at that time was challenging, right? So we actually uh, made some inroads to the creative industry. Um, these would be like uh, digital uh, advertising agencies. That would these would be uh, PR agencies, um, YouTube content providers who are or have, you know, uh, blue chip invoices from blue chip names, consumer brands. But the challenge that they have was they don't have any collateral. So, you know, they always are looking for ways to accelerate their payments. So, you know, we started off from that specific segment, from that specific industry, and building that uh, communication, building that um, network within that specific uh, industry. And, and so, you know, by having that segment, you know, we've actually created sort of like a niche 25% of our borrowers are actually within that specific industry. And as a ripple effect, you know, we've recently done a, a, a study uh, conducted by the University of Indonesia uh, Demographics uh, Department or Economics yeah. Department. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, based on the research of our borrowers, uh, uh, based on that academic research, indicates that about... Um, you know, 52% of our borrowers have increased their sales uh, yeah. with an average about 30%. Um, and 44% of the respondents have actually increased their workforce by around 20%. And um, the third point, which is interesting, you know, it enabled them to build credibility with banks, with other financial institutions to actually grow their business. Um, and, uh, you know, 25 
uh, percent of our borrowers are still within this creative sector. So, you know, I think that's a testament to uh, the impact that we have uh, done to, to the SMEs. Uh, mm-hmm. I know this study was done in a relatively short period of time, but you can imagine the potential, you know, multiplier effect that this has um, uh, to, to the SME industry as we scale and as we grow. And so I guess, did you have any, because that's, that's really, uh, I think, a really interesting and really um, sort of concise use case of, of some of the, the positive effects of, of having having this, this type of service. Was there any um, sort of anecdotal points from any of the businesses or did you hear, hear of like specific cases of what, you know, how they had used this extra access to capital or um, extra leverage to, to be able to build? Um, I'm quite interested to explore how sort of on the ground businesses are, are, are using this to grow. Right. So, so you know, we've, we've become an alternative source of uh, financing uh, outside of the bank, especially for early stage uh, companies. Uh, before you know they are eligible to seek a more formal form of um, financing, and that is one of, also one of the reasons why now we are working with several banks um, who are providing lending capital through our platform. So actually, you know, we become a complement to these banks as well in terms of acquiring these SMEs. So, you know, we uh, and, and specifically since since COVID, you know, we've become sort of like the lender of last resort for many of these SMEs who are um, looking for uh, alternative working capital requirements to support their business, uh, specifically during these times. Um, so uh, I think that is one of the uh, impact that we have contributed to the SMEs of Indonesia. I guess how does how does the process that you guys go through differ from how a bank would look at lending to a to a, to a business like this? Because obviously, you know, there's a, there's a especially for businesses like you mentioned, there's there's probably quite a, you know a healthy amount of risk um, lending capital to these guys. What what what? How does your process different um, differ? And um, I guess how, you know how do you go about sort of um, risk assessing the right. you know, the, um, the the businesses you're potentially lending to? Right. I, I think it goes back to our DNA uh, and what I mentioned um, in the early part of the discussion, you know, how do we combine, how do we use data and technology? So we are combining both um, traditional uh, um, credit assessment with a more data driven uh, uh, profile of the SME. So yeah. we have, you know, access to e-procurement, access to payment gateways, access to e-commerce, which gives um, additional data points on these SME, how they have behaved, how they are behaving, and potentially, uh, you know, what is their credit profile. So this provides a more comprehensive view on the credit profile of these SME as opposed to the traditional credit scoring model. So I think that is where technology plays an important part of the process. because of this combination between traditional data source as well as the alternative credit scores. Mm-hmm. And obviously uh, using our you know, machine learning technology, it enhances the, uh, the comprehensive view of, of the borrower itself.
Can you talk me through in a bit more detail just around some of that, that data? Because this is a, I think this is an area that's that's particularly interesting at the moment, particularly the use of um, of alternate data in credit scoring and and, and credit provisioning that Correct. sort of thing. Um, yeah. Tell us a bit about the the secret sauce and the, the the things. Is your is your sort of algorithm entirely proprietary? Uh, you know, do do you leverage yeah. on other other people? Sort of t tell us a bit about that because this is yeah, the, so the stuff I really nerd out on. Right, so. exactly. No worries. I mean, I mean, it's 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 the 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 engine itself, the the algorithm um, that is proprietary. You know, we develop on our own. Um, you know, when we when we started out uh, initially, you know, it was still relying on more of the traditional credit data. So basically, you know, the the the, the borrowers' financials, historicals, um, and also the invoice itself. One thing that's that's uh, uh, unique about invoice financing is you can also rely on the strength of the payer who is going yeah. to be the paymaster. If it's a blue chip name, then unlikely that blue chip name will go into default, let's say within the next month, right? So that is one of the mitigants that we have. So by having developed this approach, you know, we, we took it, you know, a step further and, and see how do we get more access to information on these uh, paymasters, let's say. How do you integrate with uh, uh, the e-procurement? How do you integrate with uh, the payment gateway, which gives visibility on how much this merchant is selling? How do you get access to the uh, e-commerce information, right? So that's where we build partnerships. It's a B2B partnerships that we have with several of these, what we call ecosystems. Um, yeah. So we build a partnership with, uh, you know, one of the biggest uh, e-commerce uh, players, Marketplace Indonesia, one of the biggest payment gateway, uh, the leading e-procurement provider. And and that's actually being part of, you know, an early mover and also yeah. um, building your traction early, um, you know, gives us that access. And uh, that access, then uh, we are able to further uh, tap the SMEs within that ecosystem. And that becomes the uh, data source, which then feeds in back to our credit scoring model. So um, by having that access to partnership, we are actually also providing um, lending services to the um, suppliers or vendors within that supply chain ecosystem. So it is more or less a closed loop effort that we've developed, but those data sources enable us to enhance our SME credit scoring model, which, you know, I think that's one of the challenge in any emerging market is, you know, how do you get a robust um, and validate that credit scoring model? Yeah. And is there anything particularly unusual or exotic that you guys do as part of that process? Or is there anything that, that sort of you have found sort of surprising along along that, that sort of things that maybe, uh, you know, you index more heavily on that you didn't think you would? Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, some data points such as the uh, goods being sold, um, seller rating, you know, those are some of the points or variables that are actually much more uh, powerful to assess and has a higher correlation to asset quality compared to the, you know, the length of the business itself or the financials or the traditional financials. Right. Um, so, you know, we're, that's, that's part of the, I would say the, the learnings that we've gone through and okay, I think so you... having that, you know, amount of data and, and processing it, you're able to further refine the variables that are required.
So, so you use um, you actually use sort of uh, data from the e-commerce sites based on um, sort of consumer satisfaction with a particular merchant. Correct. To, Correct. To, okay. Right. Yeah. So these type of insights, right? Uh, you build in, you feed it back to your to your scoring model, then you enhance it again, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So so different different e-commerce, different products behave differently. I guess so. Have there been any any um sort of I, I, you know in growing any business there are always challenges and um but i guess what, what have been the the biggest challenges that you faced in in growing the business over the last five years and and uh, you know is there anything that's particularly surprising or uh, anything that took you guys um took you guys by surprise um i guess at first it was you know convincing um and and uh, uh convincing uh early employees to join actually <laughs> okay yeah uh, and uh, you know I, I still remember the days where you know we we had a, a recruitment process i think we had 10 potential applicants but only one showed up um <laughs> to our office at that time yeah. right um secondly it's also convincing you know the banks on the business model so you know opening a simple bank account for for a company uh in the initial days it's about you know you you knock on seven banks door and only we're gonna manage to open with one bank uh, until today right but you know obviously that has evolved as more and more banks have have um uh, uh have now opened relationship with us but in in a financial services uh industry or business especially a fintech startup i think it's about building that trust um and building that uh, uh level of confidence in terms of product uh, on both sides i think that was you know one of the one of the challenges that we went through, and uh, that is why we believe that having a, a very active role through the association in uh, shaping the regulation would help you uh, um, will help you uh, alleviate those those challenges in the business, right? Because you know you're setting standards, you're setting industry standards, which then builds more credibility not only towards the industry but also towards uh, your business. And was there was there a point in the early days where um, there was like an aha moment that yeah we're, it's it's going to work it's um, always did you did you always you know was it was it set for success from day one or was there a, a period of time where like we we don't know if this is going to work yet um, <laughs> and then and then it sort of and it flipped to the yeah it's definitely working yeah so, I think you know the fact that you know as I mentioned you know we had a community or basically this. Uh, um, I would say niche market of creative industry. Um, you had a, uh, I would say, a, a viral effect even without us uh, advertising heavily. You know, people were looking for industry as a means to accelerate their payments, specifically on the creative industry sector, yeah. right? So that is actually one of the uh, advantage of you know providing a solution. I think what we started off with, as I mentioned, you know. We know that there is a problem in Indonesia. There is a huge credit gap that is not met by the banks. And it, it's it's a good um, learning point that when you start a business, always start with a problem, right? So you're providing a solution so that people, um, even without us spending any marketing dollars, right, um, would come back and go back and, and look for investor. And that's, that's basically said, oh, okay, this works, right? Even on the lender side, you're providing, you know, yields, returns twice, um, or, or double that of, of, of the deposit rates in Indonesia. And uh, 
you know, the people were looking for yields. So in the end, we managed to scale and grow without, you know, spending any uh, extra or any uh, um, marketing uh, spend or advertising. Um, that's when we said that, oh, okay, we are, we're, we're onto something, right? And then, you know, as, as, a, as, as founders, obviously you do a lot of your own PR, right? Uh, you, know, you know, discussion, exhibitions, uh, panelists here and there, right? So um, yeah. that was the advertising uh, effort that you go through. But, you know, that's, that's part of a, a startup journey, I guess. Uh, and was that, um, that creative industry sort of angle, was that, um, was that something that you guys sort of came upon later or was that always the initial target that was like that that's our in that's where we start or was it something you guys came to and i guess how much how much analysis did you need, need to do to get to the, that level no, of understanding I think, of the i think that was that was always a segment that you know as, as i said as a banker we never touched right yeah yeah <laughs> because uh the creative industry did not have any collateral so we thought about <laughs> that being a segment that we wanted to focus on Specifically, yeah, yeah. the fact that you know they have blue chip pairs and and uh, the the consumer brands, uh, the big brands, you know, uh, I think you know thirty to forty percent of their costs are being spent on marketing communication, right? Which consists of above the line and below the line. So you know, we we've always looked at that as an interesting opportunity for us to crack. With regards to the team build and so basically the, the the growth of the business you mentioned early, early on it was very difficult to attract people um <laughs> how how did you you know what what did you sort of learn about that time about people and, and what what you know how has your pitch to people changed across that across that time i guess how tell us a little bit about the the journey of growth because you you know a good couple of hundred people now it's a big business um yeah, well, we're so, yeah, 200 plus 220 yeah. Um, okay. in, in three markets. Wow. Okay. So yeah, tell us a bit, a bit about that growth journey and, and, and the, the learnings that you had, you had from it. Right. And, and I think, I think it comes back to number one, um, at, at the first initial onset, uh, we identified what are the key resources that we need. Um, so obviously in a, in a, in a FinTech or specifically lending business, we needed, you know, a chief risk officer, product officer. So you uh, go through your network. I think um, a network of uh, friends that you grew up with, um, especially specifically if they have relevant industry experience. Uh, okay. I think those are the ones that are, you know, you can talk to, um, and yeah. you can share, you know, what you are doing, what you are building, um, and and that was part of the early discussions that we had. You know, we we said that you know we we are we're building. Um, uh, uh, something for for Indonesian SME, um, and the the best uh, I would say pool of talent would be the banks, right? Because yeah. at that time you have you know aspiring bankers that feel that you know uh, they are not doing enough to 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 serve the underserved, right? So always start with that uh, mission. What is your mission? We want to help the Indonesian SME. Um, we're looking for people with relevant background who are willing to uh, basically develop this uh, together, right? Um, so that's that's how we started off and focused on friends who I've you know known um, a couple of years. Um, obviously, it's much more easier to convince, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, how do you combine between you know what we can offer right now? Um, 
what is our trajectory um, when we are going to raise um, in terms of venture capital funding, but at the same time, um, what is the ESOP pool that will be available for them, right? So realistically, you know, we are we are hiring uh, people that have mortgages, um, have, have families. So it's a different profile in terms of the senior management. So that was one of the challenges that we have to work out. You know, how do you work out the compensation benefit? How do you work out, you know, in terms of, um, in terms of, let's say, the mortgages? So that's part of the scale. So, you know, I picked up a little bit in terms of uh, compensation benefit management. <laughs> so that was one of the things that you learn as, as a founder, as a CEO, uh, to structure, right? Um, and so, you know, when, when the early days, uh, it's about building the, the, the founding team, which is core. What do you need as a founding team? And then how do you build um, the, the, uh, the new, the fresh grads around that founding team. So we had believed that the founding team, uh, need to have relevant banking experience because we are in the financial services industry. And then how do you build the, the talent, uh, the, the, the fresh graduates, the energized millennials around this founding team. So that was the concept. And, uh, I would say that, you know, we've, we've been managing well in terms of getting uh, good people. Uh, I believe that most, about 90, 90% uh, of the founding team are still here, um, especially on the C level. You know, even we've had instances where one of our chief risk uh, left uh, and then came back. <laughs> yeah, okay. Frequently. Um, so, you know, it's, it's about building that. But, you know, from day one, we always said that, you know, we want to build industry with a unique identity, a unique culture. I think um, the founders themselves, they have to be involved in, in the interviewing process because I think chemistry and culture are very important towards the success of building your um, venture. Um, yeah. Because it comes back to people, right? Uh, no matter you know how good the technology is, uh, you need to have strong uh, people, strong chemistry, um, and strong culture within, within the, the startup. And obviously, Managing um, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, and uh, 200 people are different, right? You need yeah. um, when the right timing on when you build organizations, uh, uh, objective key results, performance benefit. Um, so yeah, that's that's the evolution that we went through. You mentioned culture there. I'd like to drill down on that. Did you did you guys have a clear idea of the culture that you wanted in the business? And <laughs> and if so, what was it? And and sort of extrapolating it then from that, what? How do you go about um, building that into your interview process? Right. So you know we we've had the experience of being in a bank, right? So yeah. I think when you talk about financial services, obviously things such as risk management, uh, integrity, that would be the underlying uh, culture that you build the company upon as, as any financial services. But then, um, how do you build in the agility? How do you build the innovation? Um, angle and and based a lot on meritocracy, right? Because you know it's it's not like the traditional organization where you know, you need a lot of seniority before you can move up the ranks, right? We want a performance-based culture, and you build um, the organization based on what you have experience uh, in the bank, what you think are fundamental to any financial services, but then you build in a more, I would say, tech. 
base or tech industry uh, standards uh, in terms of agility, innovation, uh, collaboration. I think that's very important. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, leveraging on our own experience uh, to build a culture that is unique uh, for industry. Um, and also it, it, it fits the market that we are uh, uh, targeting, you know, the small businesses of Indonesia and Southeast Asia also. I guess if, as you're looking to add people to the to, to the organization and, and as you've grown, um, what is there been sort of a, any particular aspects you look for in, in people that join? Um, is it, you know, they need to mirror the clients or um, they need a particular particular set of attributes? What's your view on, 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 on outside of, I guess, the, um, the you know, the, the, the objective part of whether they can do the job or not? I guess that's, you know, it's um, more about how do they fit in and, and what do we look for, for in, in our hires? Yes, uh, that's, that's a very interesting uh, discussion and, and question, obviously. Uh, I believe that uh, you know, even as as uh, we grow now, uh, especially on the senior level, you know, uh, leadership capabilities becomes much more important. Uh, people skills become much more important in 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 uh, 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 I would say a growth stage startup, because you need a lot of collaboration effort, right? Um, and and the ability to work together as a team, rather than a silo mindset organization. Um, or, or um, uh, I think that is much more important. So um, definitely the, the attributes related to collaboration, related to agility, that has become more and more, um, I would say, uh, important uh, towards the, 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 the candidate or the profile, uh, yeah. especially um, in terms of the C-level, uh, that becomes more important. I think, you know, as, as C-levels, you have to lead by example um you have to walk the talk right and you need to get your hands dirty right so it's not like sitting in the corner office right there in fact we we don't have any corner office right so um yeah. i think i think that's the culture that you uh, you continue to build uh, but obviously you have more structure around it in terms of organization in terms of as i mentioned uh, uh okrs or objective key results um, so you know that's how the, the, you you grow along with the, with the company. And I, I, um, I would make a I'd cast a fairly wide sort of statement with this, but um, I, I think that traditional financial services um, sort of risk environments typically aren't historically known for their agility. Um, it's more about sort of process and <laughs> making sure that the risk is kept to a minimum. So I, I guess there, there's a another set of interesting sort of. Uh, uh, factors that you're sort of looking at there from what, what are um i guess what, what are a couple of things that you really wish you'd have known at the start perhaps if you know if there was if there was like one or two things that you could really if you could just you know go back five years and tell yourself you've got to do xyz what what would they what would they be right so i think a few things um in terms of one building a more uh robust infrastructure I think that was one of the, the things that we have uh, now gone through is we've gone through some recent uh, tech infrastructure uh, enhancement. Uh, we, we were at a time where the business was growing faster than the tech infrastructure, right? So um, it's, it's always a case. It's always a dilemma that you will have that, you know, the business outgrows the tech capabilities. Uh, but, you know, I think... Uh, if I go back, you know, about two years ago was the right time where we can actually enhance 
the tech infrastructure to enable it to, you know, match the growth of the business, right? But yeah. it is what it is, but it is a process that we go through also. So we are actually, you know, uh, enhancing as we continue to grow, right? That's that's one. Um, uh, secondly is, is uh, I think, you know, um, building more um, strategic uh, or exclusive partnerships in the, uh, in, in the beginning rather than having a lot of partners uh, because I think the alignment of interest of the partners may be different one partner from the other. So, you know, that's one angle that we have learned, you know, to have and focus on one partnership um, rather than have multiple partners. That's, that's uh, another, the second point. And uh, the thirdly, I would say is, um, you know, always look for opportunities, uh, even if it's not within your specific segment. So we have learned and, and now we've actually gone to the fact that um, we're starting to look at opportunities outside of lending, uh, but it is opportunities where uh, can strengthen our lending business, right? So. We talked about ecosystems. We talked about SMEs. Um, at the end, we know that you know for the SMEs to grow, it's not just about lending, but how do you improve their bookkeeping? How do you improve their inventory management? So you know now we're looking at solutions where we can also uh, uh, enhance that capabilities for the SME. And is there anything in that that you can you can sort of point us towards, like what you're currently doing? I get, appreciate there might be a, a sort of sensitivity of setting talking about products which aren't ready for for market yet. But yeah, I guess but, so, so yeah. The, so 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 we feel the third point, as I said, you know, hmm. uh, we we see that we feel that you know lending business will be commoditized, right? Um, so how do you further grow or um, strengthen your other business vertical that? can maintain your leadership position in the lending space. So the more we enter into the non-lending business, but supports the Indonesian SME or as a means to digitize the Indonesian SME, you're actually growing a, a bigger ecosystem for the SMEs, yeah. but lending will become you know, the necessity or the hook, right? Yeah. So you hook with the lending product, but then you're uh, offering other services to these SMEs. So we are uh, looking into that, as I mentioned, um, and, and either developing on our own or working strategically with partners who have capability in that uh, services, uh, but Investry will become the, uh, the lending provider for that service. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned that you've, you've got, you're in three jurisdictions currently. Um, uh, what sort of, where have the um, what what are the key drivers for you looking to, to to grow the business outside of Indonesia? Do you do you see that there is an opportunity across the region for for that sort of core product line? Um, and yeah, just talk, talk us through that sort of re those regional ambitions a little bit. Yeah, so it always comes back to uh, we've always been asked as a startup, you want to focus on Indonesia or are you looking at multiple jurisdiction? Uh, I think when we started off, we always see that we just uh, we see the opportunities of access to finance for SMEs not only in Indonesia, but we feel that you know the 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 issue is also evident in other emerging markets in ASEAN, right? Yeah. And uh, having uh, gone through Indonesia's development, we see that you know we've we've learned how what works and what took a lot of time. So um, 
by having gone through Indonesia, it enables us to see what would work in other markets and how do we enter into that specific market. Um, so that is what brought us to Thailand as well as uh, Philippines, whereby we, we saw the opportunities on those two countries. We identified strong local partners who can you know, support us in terms of um, business development, in terms of regulatory uh, setup. Uh, so that was very important. Um, and, and so Investry brought in, you know, the business know-how as well as the product uh, capabilities uh, to enhance that partnership. So in Philippines, um, for example, and in Thailand, we started off directly with Investry uh, 3.0 rather than Investry 1.0. So it accelerates your time to market. Uh, but we believe that as a, as a, as a, as a fintech company we felt that you know we we needed to have that regional target and so what what by having licenses in in indonesia thailand as well as philippines you're already covering like two-thirds of the asean market are you um have the you know how different how different have the regulations and how different are the markets sort of you know been from indonesia has there, have there been anything that's you know particularly surprising in those um the, you know the movement into those markets or has it been relatively straightforward we just need to fine-tune things a little bit and then the product is kind of good to go or have there been any really interesting nuance in those those markets that, that has surprised you yeah so uh i believe it's it's the interesting nuances in each market um i think we uh, we know for a fact that there there is no standard regulatory uh, within markets so we need to work and customize and tweak our offering in line with the regulations that will be issued in each market, right? So that is what I mentioned in terms of the tech development, tech enhancement. Um, that is what we need to go through. Um, and, and, and so I think uh, what we have learned is that uh, working with the local regulators, uh, it gives us the opportunity to actually also share our best you know experience from indonesia to that local regulators um so like for example in the philippines you know we have it we had a chance to share with the regulators there what we did in indonesia because most of these countries the industries or the the fintech lending industry is still in a relatively early stage compared to to indonesia um so we shared some of our experiences to the regulators and and again um, as I said in the beginning, it's about um, how you also contribute in shaping the regulation in each of these respective countries. So I think that is what is unique. Uh, but we know for a fact that, you know, when it comes to financial services, each market will be different. So this is part of the uh, regulatory uh, homework that you need to go through. And you mentioned around around the technology side, uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the um... A lot of the jurisdictions in in Southeast Asia um, require data to be kept on, you know, if there's if there's specific financial data or uh, identifiable data of of individuals, they require that to be kept on site in country. Is that is that something that also applies to to, to your um, to your products? Is that something yeah, you guys have had to to, yes. to, to to fix? Yes, correct. I think you know we we're very much uh, aware of that given our previous banking experience, obviously. So yeah. you know we're we're very much attuned and architecture-wise, that is something that we have set up or have have planned uh, initially. 
speaking, you know, I'm interested to to explore some of your um, your views on on fintech in in a sort of more broader sense and the, the future of fintech. Obviously, I understand you're the the chairman of the Indonesian Fintech Association. Um, what what do you see as some of the main trends for fintech across the next the next couple of years? What what what's really exciting for you, or, or is it more that we're just things are maturing and there will be more services provided? What I guess what what's in what's what, what's really interesting for you coming up? Yeah, so uh, let me uh, re redefine that as actually uh, chairman of the Indonesian FinTech Lending uh, Association. So okay, sorry. There, yeah. there is actually the uh, FinTech Association uh, and there is a FinTech Lending Association. But obviously we actually came from uh, the same boat. It was actually the FinTech Association. Um, but as the industry grew uh, into a 160 company, with specific operating guidelines, you know, we decided to have a separate uh, focus organization, which is the Indonesian FinTech Lending Association. Yeah. So that is actually the background why there are two associations, uh, but okay. obviously for any general market um, uh, regulation, we actually abide um, to what is set by the Indonesian FinTech Association. So that becomes the general policy uh, when it comes to um, specific or nationwide issues related to fintech yeah. and then the fintech lending um, uh, focuses more on the lending operations so we also have representatives in the uh, general fintech uh, association so that's that's how the industry has evolved and i think you know uh, i was actually vice chairman of the indonesian fintech uh, association sure. uh, until we set up a dedicated uh, fintech lending uh, back in 2018 end of mm -hmm. 2018 um, so, uh, I guess one of the things that we have learned um, also uh, from the association is that we've seen how the association plays a very critical role uh, in defining market conduct, uh, market discipline. Um, we've had instances where a lot of illegal fintechs were operating in Indonesia, given the, um, the ease of, of, I would say, deploying apps uh, onto, onto um, the either uh, Play Store or iOS, right? So, yeah. you know, we, we've had to deal with a lot of these illegal uh, fintech applications, right? And that is where the role of the association really plays an important part because you don't want your business to be uh, ruined by, you know, one to two to three players um, who can uh, uh, basically damage the reputation of the industry. So from an association point standpoint said, you know, let's, let's have a formal association. Uh, we set the code of conduct. We set the uh, uh, market conduct. What are the standards in terms of pricing, in terms of service? And we get the endorsement from the regulators. So we actually assist the regulators in providing these guidelines. Um, so I think we see the role of association playing a critical role, especially in countries such as Southeast Asia in, uh, I would say, regulating, supervising the growth of fintech. Um, the second is we see, you know, the industry uh, collaborating more and more with the traditional financial services industry. So um, I believe, you know, two to three years ago, the the uh, the common uh, perception was that fintech would be uh, a competitor to banks. Uh, but in the end, in in uh, Indonesia and also what we see in other ASEAN markets is that it's going to be a collaborative effort. 
between banks and fintech you would see more and more collaboration uh, you would see more and more collaboration also between uh, amongst fintech companies right you have your fintech payment fintech lending and uh, collaboration between fintech and other ecosystems so i think that's what's unique we've seen how indonesia have 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 built this collaborative digital industry and 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 so you know we see the trend uh, even more so uh, in in this in this pandemic where you know you have fintech working with e-commerce fintech working with digital logistic platforms so you know it's it's a very exciting ecosystem that we're developing I guess what are some of the challenges that you, that the the industries will, will face going forward? You know, it's it's interesting things that in the in the light of COVID, actually, there's been it's been in many ways uh, uh, an accelerator for a lot of fintech businesses and e-commerce businesses. What challenges do you see uh, for for the industry coming up? Right. So so I think um, you know what we see is quite evident. Is obviously given the the recent COVID situation is is um, uh, venture capital funding will be very, very selective. Uh, and so what we see is that, you know, there will be consolidation uh, in terms of the uh, players uh, within the industry. I think it's very evident. Um, and then how do you uh, manage these consolidations? Uh, you know, urging a few platforms to perhaps merge, uh, those that are focusing on the same segment, uh, urging them to merge. I think those are some of the things that we are, um, uh, exploring from a uh, uh, association perspective. Um, also, secondly, is is uh, the regulation that we have uh, was was issued in Indonesia is is something that is of already four and a half years, and I think it has changed uh, to the business dynamics that we see on the ground. So, how do regulators keep up with the changing and ever? Uh, uh, integrating, I would say, uh, uh, industry, right? Uh, I think that is always a challenge, how do regulators keep up, uh, it, it, especially uh, as, as things change dramatically uh, during the past three to four months. Well, on the regulator side, one of the, one of the interesting sort of ideas I've, I've heard is that, is there, is there a space for uh, an, a Pan-ASEAN regulator, somebody that could perhaps um, join everybody up because there's there's more and more businesses which are looking at ASEAN as a as a market. Um, and do, do you think that there's room for somebody to come in or an organisation to 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 work in in that in that space? All right, so so that's that's an interesting. Um, in fact, I actually also sit as a ASEAN Business Advisory Council for Indonesia, yeah. uh, bringing in the digital uh, expertise, right? Uh, but I think there are. That's that's an area where we have had discussion in terms of the fintech space, um, common regulations that can be applied to multiple jurisdictions. Uh, one, obviously, ISO certification standards when it comes to uh, uh, applications, when it comes to IT security, I think those are things that can be standardized. Um, you mentioned also uh, data centers, uh, on-premise, in-country data centers. Uh, uh, business continuity planning uh, standards. I believe those are some of the standards that can be uh, standardized uh, amongst uh, Pan-ASEAN region. But obviously you would then have specific credit related regulations, which is relevant for each specific countries in terms of you know the, 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 the pricing, the risk management analysis, um, the collection 
initiatives. I think those would be specific in country. Um, so perhaps that is something that we are exploring. Uh, so you would have uh, standardized uh, regulations, but you have yeah. also country-specific regulations. Yeah, okay. I guess having that um, sort of, okay, we, we all agree that these these particular parameters are are shared and then let's let's sort of bundle that together and i guess how is that is that a conversation right. that's that's advanced it, you know how how no, how I are think, the other sort of, right so i think i think what's happening uh, i think that's one of the uh, uh, advantage of having at least uh, a role within asean business advisory council um, we are actually sharing um, how indonesia's sme have benefited from the development of fintech industry over the past few years and we're sharing this to the other markets such as thailand as well as philippines uh, malaysia as well uh, on on how fintech can actually become uh, an important uh, component in supporting the smes within each specific countries so by sharing our success you know um, the asean uh, business advisory council in each country we have a common uh, communication platform right and and so the idea is how can this advisory council also speak to the local regulators uh, in terms of uh, um, having a standard uh, in-country regulatory for fintech, let's say. So it's it's still early days, but you know I think I think what we are seeing the role of fintech in supporting SMEs, especially during this COVID, I think you know uh, uh, some it will accelerate this thought of having an integrated, uh, uh, I would say, regulatory standards. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting seeing, you know, I've sort of been in, in and around financial services um, from a recruitment perspective for over 10 years. It's been very interesting seeing how the, the regulators have had to change over the years. And so right. they're going from perhaps, you know, fairly static organizations now to, you know, being organisations which have sort of sandboxing areas and they're they're in conversation with the uh, the industries a lot more. That's 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 a, been really a really interesting yeah. development to see. Yeah, I think that's that's the same thing that we uh, we went through. You know, uh, when we started out with developing your own uh, sandbox, right, and then yeah. <laughs> growing that at scale. Okay, and I guess how how because how long has it taken? Uh, in your experience, like, was it? Did the regulators move pretty quickly towards a more open mindset? Was it? Was it a sort of a, you know, a very work in progress type situation? How how much work did it take from yourself and businesses, you know, people within within the industry to to really start moving the needle on how the the regulators were behaving with this? Right. I think for Indonesia, it was surprisingly quite fast. I think because uh, as I shared earlier. Indonesia have always had a challenge in how do you accelerate financial inclusion in the country. Um, the credit gap of around $120 billion. Um, and then uh, SME credit to GDP was less than 30%. Um, I'm sure you know the number of bank account holders uh, yeah. in the countries, um, you know, less than 50%. So I think for Indonesia and the regulators, um, this was... Um, uh, viewed as as a means to accelerate this this issue, yeah. And so you know we've been garnering very positive support even from day one from the regulators. Yeah, I can imagine that there was um, uh, sort of people above the regulators sort of looking at that just that sort of gap in the market and how much wealth could be created by 
by applying a service to that to that part of the market um and that that's a you know money's a great lubricator on these things okay i guess um yeah. I, you know the 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 positive sides of financial inclusion and the um you know and the forecasted growth are all are all very well documented um do you see any um like potential downsides of it is there any you know because it, 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 on the surface it all looks very aspirational it looks very sort of inclusive um are there any you know things that sort of worry you about this new this new future that we're looking at in southeast asia right uh, I think where what we have gone through over the past few months, um, I believe, is the first credit downturn um, that the industry has experienced. Um, I believe all fintech, uh, not only not only in Southeast Asia, but but globally, I don't think uh, there has been any significant uh, credit downturn in the industry. Even if you look at fintech in the U.S., right? Um, so I think this uh, period is a very critical period. Uh, and and obviously we will see how uh, this will shape the industry. Um, so I think you know the, we are actually in a very critical junk, juncture, where this is actually the first I would say uh, a credit downturn that the industry will face, and um, the, we will see the effect let's say towards the end of the year, um, in terms of as I mentioned you know consolidation, uh, yeah. in terms of uh, uh, integration. So I think this is a very critical juncture uh, within the industry itself. And so this is something that obviously we, the association, always um, takes a more proactive approach. We do a regular surveys in seeing how uh, our members are doing. Um, uh, we've actually also proposed some relaxation measures to the uh, regulators in terms of, you know, capital access, uh, in terms of uh, relaxation in terms of operating uh, uh, operating the business uh, to ensure that you know survivability and runway um, is is well managed. And do you think that that um, applies to all of ASEAN, or is that is that sort of an Indo-specific? No, thing? I think what, what's it applies your, what's to all of... ASEAN specifically, yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think most of the fintech players uh, in ASEAN have you know uh, been. I would say less than 10 years in terms of the total growth uh, experience. And I think, you know, this this is a global pandemic that is affecting every country, right? I guess, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to, to, to work in now or? Right, I think, I think, you know, I've mentioned, you know, how we started. Um, I mentioned how we've seen uh, the impact that uh, investry specifically in Indonesia has contributed towards the SME. And uh, even more so in terms of the COVID uh, that we're seeing is how we can uh, still continue to support the SMEs uh, in Indonesia, uh, how we are, I would say, working closely with ecosystems, because I believe the more we have seen is that for fintech to, 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 to be successful, you need to collaborate with ecosystem um, you need to collaborate with the banks you need to collaborate with other digital ecosystem uh, which is i believe uh, enables you to scale the business uh, but also enables you to also maintain your cost of acquisition uh, i think also uh, enables you to accelerate your path to profitability which is also um, something that we have seen uh, more and more becoming a, 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 I would say, an important variable 
uh, for venture capital or investors uh, in the tech space uh, in general. Um, so I think you know we've we've seen uh, exciting times, and we uh, we believe that fintech will be an enabler um, for SMEs to grow, uh, small businesses to grow, and create a more uh, positive impact towards the overall ASEAN economy. Great. Um, well, in that case, then we are on to the final section, um, which is the quick fire question round. Um, this is a little bit more lighthearted. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, and so I've just got sort of four or five questions here. Uh, I was going to yeah. ask you, um, feel free to give answers either, um, you know, business or or just just however, however you like this. This isn't this isn't an, uh, an official part of the podcast. Um, okay. So what is the best advice you have been given? <laughs> the best advice uh actually one of the best advice that i got when when, when i started investing was if you want to build a successful business um run a marathon okay and and so i, I believe it's one in one of a tedx if i'm not mistaken but you know that that's that's quite intriguing actually uh come to think of it so uh i think that was when when i i left you know my professional uh, uh banking uh, nine to five job and started the startup, and and at the same time I you know trained for my first marathon, and so the more I think about it, you know it it there's a lot of correlation between building a startup and running a marathon. You know it's 42 kilometers. Um, you need patience. You need dedication. You need to build a specific training plans. Um, you will get injured. Um, it's a step back. But you build a certain grit, um, sure. which is which is very important. Uh, the more I think about it, you know, how that has also shaped uh, my view and my uh, perception on entrepreneurship, um, and and always uh, trying to uh, test your limits, right? And and we believe that you know. Um, you are able to uh, break those boundaries, break that limits, as long as you focus discipline, dedication, and, and that grit. So I think that was one of important advice that I got when I started off my entrepreneurship journey. Interesting. Did you did you like start a company and then sign up for a marathon on the same <laughs> the same sort of week? Or... <laughs> no, 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 I was I was I was already starting to pick up on on running. Um, okay. Um, and, and then basically, you know, I, I, I joined, uh, my first marathon was the New York marathon actually back in oh, okay. uh, 2015. And that's where investry was about to start. So, you know, I gone through that process and since then, you know, I've joined five major marathons, did a couple of triathlons and, uh, was about to run Boston, but unfortunately, uh, the pandemic happened, but I'm still joining, uh, Boston virtually this September. Okay. So okay. yeah, I, I've learned that you know, and every year I try to uh, set limits in terms of doing at least one marathon and one triathlon, um, and you know it keeps me disciplined, uh, balancing about you know uh, your 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 day to day running your business, uh, your your hobbies, uh, your health, and your family, obviously. Interesting. I've never, uh, I'm not, not the right build for marathon running, but I did, I have done a few triathlons. I, I okay. quite prefer the, and that probably says something more about my attention span than, uh, than anything else. Um, okay. Next, next one. Um, what is your favorite terrible management slogan? Um, and my favorite one is when the tide goes out, you can see who's been swimming naked. 
Um, so what's one of the one of the management slogans that you you, you think is wow. is really really bad? Um, don't come to me with the problems. Come to me with solutions. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, we literally had that one like two weeks ago. Somebody else said really? exactly the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think the more I learn about it, right? As a leader, you have to be a coach, right? And and you know, uh, I think the most important thing is how do you listen as a leader. Um, and, and obviously in any, especially in a startup, right, where, where it's a relatively lean organization and when you're growing and scaling together, it's very important to listen and uh, try to work out and provide advice uh, to, to your team uh, at, all, at all levels. Uh, this is something that I still continue to do, uh, have a chat, um, keep that open door uh, and, and basically uh, uh, anytime you want to reach out, you have problems, you have concerns, then we always try to keep that uh, communication open, right? Because we believe that, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's about people, it's about building that culture, that trust and that open communication um, and, and having a, a consistent communication uh, approach uh, towards the whole team. And from there, you build your engagement uh, with the team. Yeah, I say it's, it's sort of uh, interesting that you know you you bring somebody on and say, look, anything you need, give me a call. Um, unless you've got a problem, then I don't want to hear from you. You've got to you've yeah. got to solve it yourself. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, great. Now, next one. Uh, tell me something that is true that almost nobody agrees with you on. <laughs> Right. So I think one one thing that that we that, you know, I, I personally think is always we need to build for the future. Um, that's something that especially as a tech company, you don't know what the future is going to look like. Right. Uh, you always try to build uh, on top of what you have. Always try to uh, look forward to what can be uh, developed as a subset to what you are already providing. So. Um, it may not be uh, relevant in six months time, but it can be something relevant within two years time, right? Mm. So I think it's very important uh, as a, especially a techpreneur that we always need to build for the future. Uh, you have always have to anticipate. Um, so one thing that we learned, um, we made a investment in a e-procurement actually um, towards middle of last year whereby you know we have a 15% stake in one of the leading e-procurement providers in Indonesia. Um, and at the time we said that, okay, uh, it, it, by having this investment in an e-procurement, perhaps we can integrate and automate some of our processes. That's what we thought. But you know, what happened today in COVID is that you know, um, even the regional governments of Indonesia, even the centralized government are now already thinking about e-procurement. And they're emphasizing e-procurement as a means to for SMEs to actually access a bigger market. Um, so uh, that's that's a testament to what we said. What I said earlier, it's always build for the future. Okay, only three questions to go. Um, and okay. um, so next one is where, where's the first place you'll go once the uh, <laughs> once the pandemic is over? Um, that's a very interesting question, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but actually, you know, um, uh, I think Indonesia domestically is definitely uh, Bali, uh, taking the, the family out, you know, uh, go for a yeah. swim, go for a bike ride. I think that's something you know, uh, that's 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 very much we've, we've missed, actually. Yeah? 
um, come to think of, you know, the, the recent lockdown. But definitely, I think for me, it's more of an outdoor type of activities. So yeah. definitely for, for me, uh, the places to, to head out to. Nice. Now I have a I have a date in the diary for Bali as well. I just hope that things open up in time. Um, okay, what's your most obscure hobby? Obscure hobby. Yeah. Uh, uh, obviously, you know from what I've shared, you know, uh, at least one marathon a year, one triathlon a year. Um, so obviously, those are uh, I, I consider part of my goals as well that I try to meet every year. Um, in fact, this year I was actually signing up already for my Ironman event. So okay. I think my hobby is always to, you know, um, try to break the pain barrier. <laughs> oh, you'll definitely succeed that with an Ironman. So, <laughs> for anybody that doesn't know what an Ironman, I think it's what it's a four mile swim, yeah. uh, 150k bike ride, and then a full marathon to run. 190 bike ride, actually. 190 sorry yes. sorry i don't want to shortchange you that 40k um <laughs> okay no, but, but always always for me it's it's about you know testing your limits i think um it's, yeah. it's always been uh how do you how do you manage yourself how do you build discipline um within within yourself uh, i think that's always something that i'm i'm interested in so i consider that as you know some of my obscure hobby um and obviously trying to balance it out with everything that goes in, you know, your, your work schedule, your family, and so far and so on. Great. And then the last question, and this can be as wide. I think uh, after this question, we literally talked about Starfleet Academy last week. Um, so that's as broad as, as you can go, but what, <laughs> Starfleet Academy. What, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So not only sort of preempt you for an answer and we've got a whole other podcast on the Starfleet Academy. Um, but what part of the future are you most excited by? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Actually, time machines, huh? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. The ability to go back and then basically, you know, do do things better. I think if if if, if there was any teleportation or uh, go back in time, uh, I think that was something that's interesting. Yeah. There's there's a whole there's a whole conceptual. Um, parts of that which we could explore for hours um, but <laughs> um, I think yeah I, it would be nice to go back to the good old days of three or four months ago when we could, uh, we could, we could go that's, that's, that's good enough yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 I'll take that I'll take six months like you know <laughs> um, okay great Look, well that's that brings us to the end of the podcast um, Adrian it's been an absolute pleasure having you on um, thank you thank you so much thank and you, um, yeah and I, I, I look forward to, 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 to catching up with you again very soon Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Southeast Asia's Growth Leaders with me, Sam Randall. I'm really keen to hear your feedback, so please do reach out to me if you'd like to comment on anything that we've been discussing over the last few weeks. We're going to take a short mid-season break before returning in early August. We already have a bunch of really exciting speakers lined up, and I look forward to seeing you again very soon. Stay safe. Farewell. <laughs>